What is the perfect story? Does it exist? Is there a tangible formula? Has the perfect story ever been told? And if so, are we simply trying to retell this story over and over? This podcast is called The Midnight Myth, and somewhere between the black of night and the break of dawn, there is a story, and it's perfect. My name is Derek Jones. And my name is Laurel Hostack. Welcome to The Midnight Myth. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to The Midnight Myth. We're excited to have you here as we are now officially in the month of December. Happy December. This is The Midnight Myth, the podcast where we talk about uh, pop culture storytelling and all the mythological and philosophical uh, histories hanging out in your favorite stories. Oh, thank you for the, uh, the, you know, telling everyone the mission again. That was delightful. You know, just in case people are just joining us or if they forgot and we got too off topic. Sure. So December for me is one of my favorite months for a variety of reasons. But this particular December has a little extra love in it, extra enthusiasm, extra excitement, extra willingness and drive and happiness and joy. Do you want to know why? Why is that? Because this December is Star Wars month. Yes, it is. Star Wars, The Last Jedi is coming out. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, I do have my IMAX 3D Tickets with reserved seating right in the middle with my beautiful fiance and my amazing mom and my aunt because we all see Star Wars together in my family. That's how we roll. I didn't realize you got assigned seats. That's awesome. Absolutely. I don't fuck around when we it comes to Star Wars. We also bought them right away. So they sent us the limited edition poster, which is great. And that's now hanging in our podcast studio, just making it that much cooler Absolutely. slash nerdier. Absolutely. So... That really got my gears going. It got my Millennium Falcon engines revved up. And I am feeling all kinds of Star Wars. And then I remembered episode one, Villainy. Yeah, episode one of our podcast, not of Star Wars. Not of Star Wars, yes. Not episode one, The Phantom Menace. Episode one, Villainy of the Midnight Myth, in which we promised an episode dedicated exclusively to... <laughs> I love that. That was amazing. Oh, thank you. You sound just like James Earl Jones. I pretty much when every time I like, you know, my my day job, my non-podcasting job is I sell insurance. And a lot of times people will say, am I talking to an insurance salesman or Darth Vader? Yeah, I don't know if that's like something you want in your Yelp reviews, but I, I guess that's cool. They always buy. They always buy. They always buy. Because <laughs> you so, force choke them through the phone. So we are going to dive into anything and everything Darth Vader. No holds barred. We have mentioned the importance that Star Wars has had in our lives in previous podcasts. 
Star Wars is the most single influential story to me and my life and my intellectual and creative development, as well as it's the jumping off point that I have into all things fantasy and sci-fi. So I am excited to dive into, I would argue convincingly, I hope, the best cinematic villain of all time. Yeah. Oh, certainly the most iconic. Uh, and I'm really excited to do this episode as well because it feels like in some way uh, every episode that we've done has sort of been leading to this one. Uh, like Derek said, we promised this episode back in episode one when we talked about a couple of other iconic villains uh, but had sort of stricken ourselves from the ability to talk about Darth Vader or the Joker. So it's time. It's so time. And with the new Star Wars coming out, I'm really excited to reflect on who Darth Vader is and what his image has given us in the legacy of storytelling that's come after. Um, yeah, Star Wars, like Derek says, is a supremely influential story uh, on on mass culture, on, on media culture, and especially on this podcast. Uh, we talk about finding the perfect story, finding the midnight myth. Um, finding the story that resonates so deeply within us that it's it's tied to our development, it's tied to the human condition. And Star Wars, in many ways, ticks a lot of those boxes. And a, a huge reason that it does that is because George Lucas, the creator uh, of the Star Wars uh, universe, of course, uh, took a lot of his inspiration from a man we've talked about before. His name is Joseph Campbell, uh, who is uh, well-known for... Uh, compiling myths of uh, cultures and geographies all across the world and trying to identify the monomyth, sort of what we do. He identified the uh, similar beats and the similar uh, motifs in storytelling that are so uh, instrumental to our understanding of our world and the great mysteries that surround us. And what Star Wars was, what George Lucas was doing, was trying to modernize that monomyth and create this new legacy of mythology for a contemporary world and for a younger audience. And in that way, it's really become an almost religious experience for a lot of people indulging in Star Wars. So I think talking about its its iconic villain is going to be really fun for us tonight. And I would submit that the power and popularity of Star Wars radically changed Hollywood permanently and that the hero's journey is now a centerpiece to nearly every major story in pop culture, in particular those that have action, those that have excitement, those that have magic, you know. So, um, yeah, kudos to George Lucas, one of my personal heroes, for taking the Joseph Cambian monomyth and bringing it to us. So this episode is going to be structured in a way where we're going to talk about the villain that is Darth Vader, how it was constructed, how it conforms from the lens of the monomyth. And then we're going to be asking some questions about legacy and where uh, Darth Vader has left us and where that is going. And we're going to be referencing the new um, reboots, or not reboots, the new like continuation of the story as told by um, you know ILM currently, that is Industrial Light and Magic, Lucasfilm, Disney, the whole kit and caboodle. J.J. Abrams. So um, I guess it goes without saying, if you're not a Star Wars fan, we're certainly not going to hold anything back, so consider this your spoiler wall. I am going to bet 
that everyone listening to this podcast knows everything we're going to talk about. Yeah, I hope so. Well, not our own individual new ideas, but right. they're gonna. We're not gonna spoil anything. You're gonna know the references, and if you don't, if you haven't had the the chance, or you haven't uh, really dived into Star Wars, I hope that if you do listen past the spoiler wall, that this inspires you to see it through a new lens and not as a you know goofy geeky thing from the seventies. Uh, I also really love, powerful. I also love looking at it through the lens as a goofy geeky thing from the seventies. Totally. <laughs> but that's just me. Cause I'm kind of goofy and geeky. Same, same. All right. So Laurel kick us off with the Joseph Campbellian, not a word, monomyth sort <laughs> of, um, perspective here. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, Joseph Campbell, uh, was a comparative mythologist and writer and author and uh, professor, um, who, noticed a lot of the similarities between uh, great religious mythologies, great, um, you know, origin myths of various cultures and, um, and uh, the, the heroes that, you know, pervade their, um, their various mythologies. And he decided to really look for the reasons that those threads exist, the reasons that, you know, we have so many uh, great flood stories. The reason that we have so many stories about characters going to the underworld, another thing that we've talked about on this podcast, and so many stories that that follow the same basic plot structure. Um, and his idea of this was not about, you know, going back and looking for historical uh, or prehistorical events that might have triggered these stories, but looking for the symbolic uh, meaning of these, the symbolic uh, understanding that we reach about those great mysteries of why we live, why we die, what comes next, and what the purpose of being here really is. Uh, and he's got great books out there like The Power of Myth and The Hero with a Thousand Faces that I definitely recommend for anybody who likes this podcast because they get really, really deep into the history and the mythology. Now, George Lucas, of course, was a mentee of, uh, and friend of Joseph Campbell, and he learned a lot from this guy about, you know, why, why we look so closely at those, those powerful stories that formed us. And he turned Star Wars into a, a very physicalized, localized version of the most powerful motifs of so many of those stories. So we follow a hero's journey structure that Campbell lays out in 17 steps. I'm not going to recite them all for you right now, but essentially it starts with, the uh, main character or the hero being sort of a lost, um, sometimes referred to as an orphan, um, you know, character who is in in the world of men, in a, a world that they understand very well, but is maybe in some way broken, moves out, goes on to this journey, hears the call to adventure, uh, you know, passes through a road of trials, and uh, has to defeat some great evil or has to win some magical prize or uh, in some in some way fight a boss fight uh, before he can return to his own uh, own world and become master of both worlds. One of the most important uh, trajectories of that hero's journey for our conversation tonight is uh, is one that gets a little more Freudian. Uh, so it's less about the literal um, you know trials that the character goes on than the symbolic ones. And that's the idea of the the killing of the father the destruction of the father. Uh, now Campbell uh, talks a lot about Freud and Jung, um, but establishes that as humans, our first relationship and the first conflict we know is that of 
uh, our parents. So the first you know, safe place that we are is at our mother's breast. And the first conflict we uh, you know, encounter is that we are taking the mother away from the father. So there is a, a sort of triangle of tension that's um, also really present in Oedipus and a lot of great, uh, great myths. But that that's the first experience of tension that we have. And so in order to become individuals, we have to leave the mother's breast, obviously, to grow up and become an adult. Um, but in order to really realize who we are, we have to, in some way, destroy the presence of the father over our individuality. Uh, and Star Wars. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Keep going. I am like, <laughs> I am just, I am surprised to hear you arguing Freud back to me. But anyway, continue. I know, right? Um, yeah. I have a whole, like... Thing about Freud that I'm just not like crazy about him and Derek different, different podcast. great. Yeah. yeah. But I'm, I'm now interested in reading Freud after spending a little more time on Vader. And I um, continue. But yeah, so Star Wars really uh, perfectly encapsulates that, makes the symbolic literal in the fact that Luke has to destroy his father, not only in influence, not only in, you know, his his memories or his uh, idealized version of his father, but like literally destroy his father um, in order to come out on top and be the the person, be the hero that he truly wants to be. Um, and so Vader becomes the ultimate father figure who is not just the uh, you know looming presence over your life that you have to impress or that you have to uh, you know, try and find uh, a relationship without conflict with, but he's also the the villain father who uh, oppresses the hero. Wow. So we can understand Vader first as a sort of uh, weaponization of the Oedipal complex. Right. That Vader is his main uh, point and structure in the story is to suppress, limit, hurt, and maim Luke Skywalker, and that the way we understand Vader is that for Luke to be the hero, he must overcome this oppressive figure. And in this way, Vader links to a iconic psycho, um, you know, psycho and analytical point of view. Yeah. I never considered Vader from the point of view of psychoanalysis. That intrigues me. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it, like we said, it, it harkens back to Oedipus, but it's present through so many mythologies. It's uh, it's that relationship of the the son trying to uh, gain authority in the world, trying to not be dependent on on the mother, trying not to be in the shadow of the father, and the inherent tension of that that the father, of course, doesn't want to be overcome by the son. So there is naturally going to be some conflict there, right? Right. I'm kind of also going to, and bear with me, I'm kind of going to Exodus here. Oh. Right. And so yeah. we can understand the story of Exodus. And if you're not familiar with that, it's a story of Moses le leading the Jews out of Egypt. Well, in ancient Egyptian society and structure, the Pharaoh is a living God, an embodiment of the father to all. Right. And for Moses, who was part of the uh, Pharaoh or part of the Egyptian uh, monarchy elite, he had to work within the structures of the Pharaoh until he felt the, the true call to the true father, which would be God, to lead the people out, which caused conflict then 
with the Pharaoh who literally chases Moses around and his people through the desert in a similar um, empire strikes back in kind of way. Yeah. Where the father is relentlessly, now the Pharaoh's not literally Moses' father, but symbolically a figure of fatherhood, especially to the Egyptian people and to Moses. And then having to then chase, you know, give chase to get the child back within the oppressive, but, you know, controlling arms of the father. And the much way that like Vader's main goal is to capture Luke and gain him and, and convince him to join the dark side. And in doing so, he gets to actualize fatherly love because I can now control my son. The one thing that I can have, if I convert my son to my side, he's within my sphere of influence. He is there in the hierarchy beneath me. And I can then have my son by my side as I go out and do like evil general despotic things. And with Luke overcoming that and defeating the father, is there a sort of, and leading the galaxy to peace, is there a sort of, you know, sort of symbolic link there to Moses you know, leading the people to the promised land. Well, the fact that you were able to immediately draw that connection is exactly Joseph Campbell's point, is that these are the themes that echo through eternity. These are these are so imprinted on our, our psychologies that we have to tell stories that kind of take this shape. Um, and what's so, what's so beautiful about uh, Luke's uh, destruction of the father is that it actually leads into this redemption of the father, right? So... Rather than uh, you know choosing to join the dark side, rather than turning on his father, uh, Darth Vader is actually able to recognize the error of his ways, and uh, and Luke succeeds by rejecting Vader's philosophy. So it's a symbolic uh, destruction of the father and what part of the father lives in himself. Uh, that possible pull, that temptation to the dark side. By destroying that, he has completed that stage of the hero's journey and moved on to become this master of the world and of both worlds that he's from. Um, but no, I think it's 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 great that you were able to draw that connection um, and understand the uh, the inherent danger in uh, and the psychoanalytic danger in having a son, uh, in being a father and having a son, and the subconscious fear of that son overcoming you. It's why we have the myth of Saturn devouring his children in Greek mythology and so many myths in that image. Um, there's that fear of being uh, of being outdone. Yeah, I mean, that comes up in especially Greek mythology. I mean, there are several. I mean, Oedipus is one in which the father is afraid of the son killing him, so he kills his, tries to kill his son, but it doesn't work. You know, you know, so many of the heroes of ancient mythology who were orphaned were orphaned out of the fear of the child growing more powerful than the father. Right. Which is very much Luke Skywalker's origin. Yeah. And we've talked about chosen ones before and, and how prevalent that uh, that motif of like a baby being born that's going to overthrow the dark lord or the um, you know the powerful king it's Jesus Christ you know overthrowing uh king Herod it's those those prophecies that work their way through uh multicultural mythologies and contemporary stories like Harry Potter too um that deal with that inherent competition of the symbolic father and son relationship right 
So I think you've done a really good job narrowing down the mythic root of Vader. Yeah. Can we talk a little more of the uh, nit and gritty of like, why is Vader so cool? So we understand that he resonates very deeply within mythological beats. I would like to add one more thing. Oh, please. By all means, I'm not trying to phase out the mythological argument. Yeah, no, this is just one more point, which is that, uh, so a lot of us would like to forget the original trilogy, but uh, regardless of how we feel about them as movies, they are. Hold on. I mean, the original trilogy? Oh, not the original, the uh, prequel trilogy. Sorry. Um, a lot of us would like to forget that that happened, and there are a lot of mistakes, and it's they're not great films, but they are important to the story as a whole, and we do need to understand that part of Anakin Skywalker becoming Vader. And what I think is so interesting um, to compare that to this argument that we have about Luke overcoming Vader is that Anakin follows the same uh, mythological beats, but as sort of a perverse shadow version, uh, with Obi-Wan serving as not only the mentor figure in the story, but the father figure, he has to overcome um, or try to overcome Obi-Wan in order to become his own person. And he makes all the wrong choices, right? But he still becomes master of the world. But in the making of a villain, you still have to follow that same hero's journey sort of upside down. Uh, And and that establishes the Star Wars saga as this sort of Ouroboros, this snake-eats-tail of of infinite uh, hero and villain journeys. And I think what's cool about the new trilogy is that we're we're not really sure where we are uh, on the, the hero's journey wait, yet. The new trilogy meaning the... Force Awakens. Okay. Um, but we might see Luke become this father figure to Rey that she has to eventually overcome by either symbolically eradicating his influence or um, literally destroying him. Or we might see this on the part of Kylo Ren having to destroy the Darth Vader in him. We've already seen him destroy his own father. So, yeah, we have this this never-ending, uh, infinite snake-eats-tail kind of thing going on with that uh, father-son relationship. Okay, so a lot there. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I, I think you just uh, unloaded a huge, huge bag of tricks, can of worms, whatever the hell you want to call it. So let me backtrack here. So let's talk a little bit about the prequels because what you said was really dense and really spot on, but I kind of want to, if you're okay with it, flesh some of it out a little bit. Yeah, because I thought there was a lot of good there. So if we look at Vader's journey, I'm sorry, Anakin's journey to Vader. Right. And we look at the prequels and let's, hold the fact whether we like those those movies or not. Yeah, forget forget about because we what don't you feel about them. None of us do. If you like the prequels, you're wrong. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> um so if we hold that fact, we look at Vader's journey through similar beats of the hero's journey but perversely, and what is the element that makes it perverted? It is fear. And in particular, it is fear of loss. It is attachment. It is loving something so much that you can't bear the psychological pain of losing it. Yeah. And in this case, that love is his attachment to Padme. And when he realizes that Padme is living, all things living are mortal. Hence, Padme is mortal. It spirals his powers into the dark side right. when he realizes Padme is going to die and die soon, and I can't control that. Hence, I need to gain control. How does he choose to deal with this anxiety? 
by gaining control, what does he do? Violence. Violence as the mechanism by which he can gain control of the external world, and hence his journey is now complete. He can overcome his symbolic father, Obi-Wan, right. who is trying to be like his superego. If you're not familiar with the term, it is a theory of Freud's that that's a part of our unconscious mind that tells us what's right and wrong. Yeah, it's a regulator. Imagine your mom and your grandma always whispering in your ear. That's your superego. So he overcomes his superego, Obi-Wan, in order to, to control death, which then in turn makes him evil, right? So that journey there is significant. And now we flash forward, and we already fleshed out Luke's, to now the, the, the reinvention and the redoing of Star Wars uh, with The Force Awakens, that we have Kylo Ren. And so I would submit that Kylo Ren is trying to do the Darth Vader journey in reverse. Mm -hmm. He is trying to purge attachment so that he can devote himself to the evil ideal. So to him, Vader is not a father. I'm going to argue symbolically. Yeah, yeah. Vader, even though he's quite literally his grandfather. Vader's an ideal. Yeah. Vader's a deity. Yeah, okay, him, yeah. One in which he has reverence and worship. Yeah, he has a shrine. <laughs> and that he has to purge his call to the light, which he says yeah. in The Force Awakens. By doing so, his father as the object that stands in his way to actually fully committing himself to the ideals of the dark side. And he literally has to stab a saber through his heart. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I agree with that assessment of the, of the beats of Kylo Ren's story, um, where, where I'm hesitant to make a, a judgment call on where Kylo Ren is, is that of course this is a trilogy and we don't know where he's going to end up. We don't know what his, uh, his full arc is going to look like. Oh, sure. So I think, assessing force awakens uh with with that hero's journey um uh, arc is super spot on but i'm interested to see where he goes if he ends up actually purging the dark in himself it'll be interesting to see yeah absolutely um which we can at the end of this if we want to uh talk what do we want to see from last jedi we yeah. can we can punt that so back to back to darth vader yeah the main catalyst of all of this you know, I would also say that Vader has some inherent, you know, cool factors that help sort of propel him to the iconic level that add to his mythic structure. Because I think yeah. you can structurally create the right villain, but then you also, especially in a movie, you also have to make that villain come to life in the movie. For sure. And so we have to credit George Lucas for the look of Vader. Yeah. It's based uh, primarily off of samurai armor. Yeah, fun uh, fun story. I was at the uh, Star Wars costumes exhibit that was uh, touring from the Smithsonian at the Denver Art Museum, and you were able to see a lot of the production design sketches and the costumes up close, and they had a lot of the original samurai helmets and paintings that... Uh, um, Lucas was inspired by. And it was so cool to see that inspiration that provokes that subconscious uh, association in our mind uh, to tell you, yeah, all black, samurai helmet, this guy is straight up evil. Uh, and then seeing that for the entire Star Wars canon 
very cool. If you get a chance to see that exhibit as it tours, do it. And then the other thing about the costume, and you sort of made a joke about this before we started recording, but I think it's important to note, is that uh, Darth Vader's head is super phallic. Um, it definitely is, it looks like a dick. Um, and that's important. It ties directly back to this sort of masculine competition, this father-son competition, uh, and draws a line to Empire Strikes Back. How does Vader assert his dominance, assert his triumph over his son? He cuts off his hand. And I could do an entire episode on uh, all the times arms get cut off in Star Wars, but that is a symbolic emasculation. That is a, an assertion of, like, my dick is bigger than yours. Go totally. On. Yeah, I mean, I was going to add that, like, how do we know that the Empire is evil? What clues do they give us? Well, the stormtroopers and Vader are 100% dehumanized. Oh, yeah. You know, they we don't see their faces. In fact, they don't get the luxury of faces. Their uniforms cover 100% of their humanity. And then when we see Vader, we know that he stands apart from the stormtroopers in color. That all of the stormtroopers wear white. Vader wears black. So we know that he is the most dehumanized of the dehumanized. Yeah. Or at, at the very least, the dehumanizers. Right. You know, that they have such little humanity. I mean, we joke about it too when we joke about these stormtroopers and how easy it is to just kill them. Yeah. Because there's just like a never ending amount of them. I think there's a lot of jokes too in pop culture, like clerks and Buffy. They're like, wait, when they blew up the death star, those were people, those weren't robots. Right. Right. What? Absolutely. <laughs> um, which are all very fun, good jokes. Yeah. Um, but then, so Darth Vader's also has one of the like most iconic voiceover performances. Oh yeah. With James Earl Jones. Yeah. Um, fun, fun thing to do is YouTube like clips of the actor who is actually in the suit because in the original takes, they have his voice and it's so like, it's so not scary or intimidating at all. Um, and then contrast that with uh, James Earl Jones' performance, which is so like earth shaking, terrifying. Um, that's good for a laugh as well. Absolutely. And like um, Luke, who his intro movie is Star Wars Episode Four: New Hope, otherwise known as just Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, that is also Vader's intro movie. Yeah. Vader isn't really quite the top dog in A New Hope. Tarkin really seems like he is a hierarchy peg above. It's not until Empire Strikes Back where we get a Vader-centered movie, where it becomes about Vader being the ultimate obstacle, where we get a sense that if Vader is not there, the Empire is not there. You know, we don't get that sense in A New Hope. And then we come to learn at the end of it that the father mythos that you're talking about, that Vader as father figure, becomes manifest in learning he's literally Luke's father. Yeah. And then we learn in Return of the Jedi that it is about destroying Vader. So I think these mythic beats and these like pragmatic, well-done themes um, and well-done effects of the movie are what really solidify Vader and his role in film greatness. And he is, you know, even removed from how iconic he is in pop culture, he is iconic in the Star Wars universe. Uh, he He's a symbol. He's We've talked about uh, Hunger Games on here and the Mockingjay, and I'll appropriate that term, but 
uh, he's the mocking Jay of the empire, right? He is the, mm-hmm. even if he's not the top dog, even if he's not the emperor, he is the symbol associated with uh, the empire and the thing people are most terrified of. You take that out, you take out the empire, right? Um, yeah, so he kind of occupies the space. You must defeat Vader. Yeah. Says Yoda. Right. And he is the embodiment of the dark side. He is the character who uh who tapped into that side of the force by uh resigning to fear, resigning to anger, resigning to hatred, which are all the paths to the dark side. Uh and it's tragic. He really is a tragic story because he had so much potential. He was the chosen one, uh, as, as Obi-Wan might have said. Um, and, and so our, w- once we combine that understanding of the prequel trilogy, regardless of how we may feel about it, we can understand this profound sadness of this figure that any of us has the potential to become if we succumb to those really dark voices in our heads and not listen to our grandmother or our mother whispering in our ears about what's right and what's wrong. Right. So I'd like to ask a question that the force awakens kind of makes me ponder and meditate on. The question is this seeing Kylo Ren as the next generation of Vader. It makes me wonder, can evil be passed down generationally? It's a good question, and uh, you know we we can answer this. I guess answer this within the confines of the uh, Star Wars universe. Well, in particular, let's let's understand this question as one maybe specifically in the Star Wars universe. And if we can answer it in the Star Wars universe, then does that say something about our universe? Is that is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, and what's interesting about what we said tonight. Uh, in the context of this question is, you know, what really is evil? Is evil just the concentrated, you know, negativity of our most powerful and most painful emotions uh, manifest into action, right? Um, I, I think that's what we're defining it as here. I would say that I like that definition, but I'd like to make an addendment to it. Yeah. Because people can manifest all of the worst emotions that humanity has to offer and not be evil. Sure. I would say that evil requires action of treating life as a means. Mm, Yeah. And, And what I mean by that is if you look at life as something that you can exploit to get what you want, you are starting to in the star warrior sense. And I don't want to say this is a, pure like philosophy that extends in every avenue. But in the Star Wars sense, once life becomes a means and not an ends, you start going down the path of the dark side. So Vader teaches us this when he realizes that, you know, the Jedi council that's offering spiritual and political salvation and power is not as important as Darth Sidious or the emperor because this Darth Sidious can give him the power to stop death. Once he starts realizing I can use Darth Sidious to benefit me personally, rather than do something altruistically and selflessly, then he goes down the path of evil. Yeah. And Darth Vader as a character, let's examine empire strikes back. So 
he uses murder as a disciplined tool to make sure that he gets the best results from his troops. Is there any definition of the ends are justified by the means than that? Right. Literally slaughtering people. And like, if I kill them, as long as it helps me a little closer to my goal, I can kill whoever I want. You know, I'm going to use murder as a discipline technique, you know? So we see that. And conversely with Luke, you know, as the, the opposite to that, he refuses to use anyone. He won't use his friends. When he finds out that his friends are in jeopardy because of him, he's just like, I've endangered this mission. This is in Return of the Jedi, I mean. So I think evil requires the worst of human emotions, but an action where suddenly life, it doesn't matter. Like if you use it as a means to get to what you want, then it's okay. Oh, yeah. So if we understand Vader as the embodiment of that, um, that, you know, life is a just means to get whatever you want. And the dark side is a metaphor of that. When we look at the first order living under that shadow, you know, I don't know, where does that leave us? Well, I think one of the most, um, uh, most potent images that we're left with of, uh, of Kylo Ren in The Force Awakens and the sort of impression that we get about the first, first Order based on this is sort of that the First Order is in adolescence, uh, where the Empire is, oh, wow, I'm going to tie this back to the uh, psychomythic stuff we were talking about before. Do it. But the, f- the First Order is the son and the Empire is the father, Right. So we have the Empire as this paragon of the uh, sort of power-hungry institution that uh, does not value life the way the Republic or, um, you know, the, the, the good people on the light side of the Force might. Uh, and the First Order is living in that shadow, like you said, and needs to find a way to... Uh, to break out, to establish its own dominance, to... Uh, not live uh, in comparison to it. So uh, they build a base like 30,000 times larger than the uh, Death Star. They take out several planets at a time with it rather than one planet. Um, So it's a big dick measuring contest from the start. And then Kylo Ren is this uh, sort of angry teenager kind of character. He has incredible force power, but he doesn't know how to control himself because his emotions are so uh, powerful and so chaotic that he he takes things out on the machinery. He you know lightsabers up the whole the whole Starkiller base. He people live in fear of him because he's so ridiculously unpredictable, like some uh, other world leaders that I can mention. Um, but we get this sort of. <laughs> Keep going. I'm sorry. I giggled. As soon as you said some other world leaders that I can mention, I'm like, my mind was just like, ooh, who is that? Merkel? Merkel. No. Obviously. Trudeau? No. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a second. Theresa um, May in Britain? No. No, not her. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry. Who could I be talking about? Yeah. But yeah, we get this uh, this conflict and this competition, uh, even while uh, Kylo Ren worships at the altar of Darth Vader, he longs to uh, to overshadow that legacy, right? He wants to be the greatest. Uh, he wants to finish 
what Vader has finish started. what he started, uh, implying that Vader couldn't finish what he started and so needs a more powerful uh, replacement to take that mantle. Um, so, yeah, we, we get not necessarily the answer to, like, is evil genetic? Is it passed down through the generations? But, like, maybe it's part of that internal competition that we have with uh, with our, our seniors, with our with our families. Maybe it's part of trying to establish ourselves in the world. Maybe it's part of Kylo Ren trying to become an individual and, uh, and overcome the shadow of not only Han Solo, his father who helped save the galaxy, but his grandfather, Darth Vader, who was the most feared uh, practitioner of the force in the dark side who ever lived. All great points. So, all great points. I, I think you nailed it. I have a weird metaphor, if you'll go with me. Of course I will. I'll um, always I go know, with you on weird metaphors. L- listeners, I know we're going a little over on time, but I don't care. We're talking about Darth Vader. Mm, so mm-hmm. pause if you have to go to work and come back and see us when you're off work. You know, that's fine. Make Vader a priority. Don't go to work today. I, I do not encourage calling out from work. I just want to point that out. That was not me. <laughs> I said, pause, you know, Laurel said, don't go to work, Call whatever you choose. Okay. So here's my metaphor and I'm going to step out of just the Vader lens, if you will. So even though it's heavily Vader, a empire based upon oppression falls at the end of star Wars, uh, the original trilogy, At that time, out of that comes a new re-emerging empire. Perchance, there is a metaphor here, not a clean metaphor, maybe not an intentional one, but a metaphor that is very, um, I would say, self-reflective. And I'm going to specifically talk about mid-19th century America and the slave trade. Whoa, okay. And slavery being a part of the empire, the empire is conceived of whiteness in that everybody that works for the empire is a white man, you know, and and what it does it do is it oppresses all of the people that are pluralistic and different and strange. And a great civil war is essentially fought, the rebel alliance winning that war and then out of that, we see the First Order is born, and the for- First Order is powerful. The First Order is the Jim Crow to the Empire's slave trade. Wow. Yeah, that there is a remnants of Americana in this, in that once you defeat a system of oppression, another system can be born out of it, if you haven't really intellectually and spiritually conquered the problem that happened to begin with. And Kylo Ren is the manifestation of, I haven't conquered the spiritual problem that the empire was. Hence, I'm remaking the empire. As in Jim Crow is, we haven't conquered the spiritual problem that was the slave trade, that you know, African Americans are less than white Americans. You know, And I think there is a interesting, and I don't think that's what they drew up in the writer room, but I think it's there, right? 
Right, and and this is another example of why Star Wars is so powerful as a myth, and why uh, uh, why it's so important that it draws upon those really uh, ancient motifs and those ancient beats of of myths that have been with us since the beginning of time. Is because we can apply those to the big questions that we have today, right? Um, but I think that's an incredible point that. Uh, that when we have a, a system of oppression that is objectively like it's in the past and it's objectively terrible, but we can't recognize the system that's been normalized in front of us. And if we project that forward to today, it's not only Jim Crow, but it's the prison industrial complex where there's this cycle of incarceration and, and black men are being torn away from their families and been funneled straight from school into prison for nonviolent drug-related offenses. We have the same kind of thing that's been normalized that is directly traced back to slavery. If you haven't seen The 13th on Netflix, it's time to see that. But I think that's that's what makes Star Wars a powerful story is that we can we can use it as an allegory for almost anything that we're going through today and anything that we've been through in the past. You know, World War II, Civil War. Well, yeah, in this way that Darth Vader is such a powerful villain because Darth Vader represents all of the the wrongs of Western civilization. And that we see those wrongs and we are both repulsed by and compelled to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, big episode. It's been quite an episode. We've definitely covered a lot more than Vader. Do we want to end with what we think will happen in The Last Jedi for the fun? Um, yeah. Why don't you go ahead? I don't know that I have too many predictions, but... I would love to hear what you have to say. The Jedi Order is finished. The title tells us everything we need to know. There will be no more Jedi. We know this already because there are no more Sith. They are not called Sith anymore. They're called the Knights of Ren. A new order emerges from this. And that new order may not shape the galaxy in a binary such as light and dark. Maybe it will. But the Jedi themselves are done. They will not come back. They cannot come back. And I think the foreshadow of that is that we don't see Sith in The Force Awakens. We see Knights of Ren. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we we might very well see uh, Rey and, uh, and Kylo Ren in some fashion at the end of all of this, bring balance to the force. We've heard some talk of the the gray Jedi who kind of live on that line between the dark and the light side. I'm interested because we're at the Empire Strikes Back point in the trilogy, which, as we know, was the sort of triumph of the of the original trilogy in terms of filmmaking, but was also a really devastating movie um, that left our characters in a in the belly of the whale. Um, for lack of a better term. Yeah, so, I, and I think that will happen. I think we will this be devastated. Will, this will not be a happy movie. And uh, and I think we will see characters do uh, do some really exciting and scary things, and I think we'll be left wanting more. Absolutely. And, and I, I think, can't wait. And I think uh, may the Force be with you all. May the Force be with you. And until next time, be kind. Be kind.